Hello, and welcome to episode 87 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Richard McKinnon, and if this is your first time joining us, you are very welcome. For this episode, I'm joined by fellow occupational psychologist James Beavers. Together, we take a look at a very important workplace topic, which is our tendency to sometimes overplay our strengths. James starts by outlining his own background and his interests and how he ended up becoming an occupational psychologist. And then together, we explore how overplayed strengths can manifest, how they can show up in our behavior, and of course, what we can do about it. Before we move on, though, a quick plug for this month's online community meetup. On May 27th, our meetup is going to be all about the role of our values, our goals, and our habits in our personal development. So if you enjoyed last episode's discussion about habits, then this is the meetup for you. And of course, if you have questions arising from uh, the last episode, well, come and join us. Ask the questions. We'll do our best to answer them. As with all of our meetups, it is a completely free event. You just need to register in advance. So visit www.worklifepsych.club to sign up. And of course, you will then be notified of all future meetups and similar events. So without further ado, let's move on to hear from James. And as always, thanks for listening. today. Thank you very much for your time. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. It's good to talk to you again. Um, and uh, this is the first time you've joined us on, on the podcast, so I'm, I'm really grateful you, you managed to find the time to do that. And we're going to talk about a really interesting topic, I think, um, kind of the way that our personality can have an impact that's maybe not so helpful uh, in the workplace. But before we get stuck into that, as it's the first time you're on the show, it would be great to learn a little bit more about you. So could you give us a potted history of you um, and your professional life? Certainly. Certainly. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You must be gentle with me, Richard. Thanks for acknowledging it's my first time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, by profession, I'm an occupational psychologist. Um I didn't always do that in the world of work. I started, I spent five years as a software engineer, which proved to be more useful to me later than I thought it would be at the time. Um, I retrained as an occupational psychologist. My first job was with um, a bank at the time called Abbey, which we will now know as Santander. I got involved in things like graduate recruitment and um generally recruiting people into head office positions or anybody that wasn't working in a uh, call center or, or a branch. I then moved into consultancy, worked for a, a, a really cool um, niche occupational psychology consultancy. I've worked in executive search. You and I met uh, where we worked together with a company called TalentQ. Uh, I then went back to consultancy and I've now done four years as, a, as an independent um, I guess my kind of grounding, if you like, my apprenticeship as a psychologist was in was in assessment, quite in-depth, what we called whole person assessment, quite long interviews, really trying to get to grips with the person in order to make predictions about things like organizational competency frameworks. Um, that tended to be supported by psychometrics, um, including one about derailment, supported by things like ability testing, um, and as I say, that was my that was my kind of grounding. So kind of real depth and time spent on on kind of personality psychology. 
Um, so really putting the hours in yeah. with people in the real world 100%. to to get really uh, familiar with what these assessments can tell us about people at work. Absolutely, absolutely. And if that was a sort of early career in psychology, I was also spending time doing the, the things that you might expect, right? Leadership development, stand-up training and workshops, um, through to coaching, through to interview skills training, through to teaching people about how to have performance conversations. Um that's kind of evolved. I still do that kind of work, um, it, but it's evolved into into um, quite a lot of coaching lately. I'm, I'm a big fan of um, things like CBT and latterly um, really getting into um, the world of acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, so I guess my background is, is fairly broad-based. I've covered lots of the things that occupational psychologists get involved in, but but with that kind of grounding, as you say, that kind of early life as an occupational psychologist, getting to grips of, with personality psychology, really. Yeah, yeah. Lots of time spent opposite someone <laughs> to try and find out a little bit more about yeah. them. And, o- opposite, and relevant. Opposite senior people as well. Senior yeah. people, high potential people, um, and, and feel very sort of fortunate for that. You know, kind of Im- impressive people and interesting people too. Um, learn from it's a great grounding really a really great grounding and also the less maybe scientific side of things understanding more about how organizations work you know that's that's so important to what we do but it's maybe not an explicit skill uh it's more the the stuff you pick up along the way the the politics the structures the what's said what's unsaid and you kind of need to put the hours in to 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 learn that stuff and we certainly did that. Why, why was it you got particularly interested in occupational psychology as opposed to any of the other fields? That's a great question. I, I, I often ponder that. I, what I've kind of arrived on is that, is that it's a product, product of two forces in my life, if you like. The occupational side of it, I think, comes from a, a family background wider family involved in business involved in entrepreneurship involved in the professions so I've, I, I guess I've been kind of immersed in the world of business from a young age um, so that's the occupational side the psychology side it's going to be a really um, cliched answer I'm afraid I, I, I guess I've always I've always been a people watcher um, I just find it super interesting I think if you want to know how the world works if you want to get on in the world it's probably important to understand how humans work Totally. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> it, it, you know, uh, on top of all the other skills we have, but yeah, a good understanding of what makes people tick and specifically in the workplace. So it sounds like you had a very, um, a good understanding of business um, before even starting your training as a psychologist. Um, I don't know if one, maybe we're... <laughs> not quite the right time for this conversation not necessarily understanding but I was def- it was definitely a world I was kind of in it was my reality right yeah it's what people did and were you um what, what was it that surprised you when you entered the workforce yourself were there any big differences between your preconceptions and what it was actually like well remembering that I entered the workplace as a software engineer yeah um back in just before the millennium when we were kind of getting worried about toasters attacking us on New Year's Eve. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think 
there was a big lesson in that for me, which was doing things that you are suited to and enjoy just because that's where the, the market was heading. You know, there was a lot of investment and a lot of graduate jobs in, in the world of software. There was a big lesson there in kind of person to environment fit and person to job fit. I was kind of okay at that job, but I didn't really like it. And I was, I'm very grateful. And I look, look back on the fact that I made a, at the time, it was quite a bold move to go off and retrain. Um, so I think, to come back to the question, I think the kind of lesson I learned was that there's a, there's an awful lot of people who kind of get stuck, don't do things that they kind of enjoy and don't do things that they're good at. It seems such an awful shame. And and that's really related to what we're going to talk about today, um, how you might not uh, end up enjoying what you're doing or how you might enjoy something and maybe do too much of it, um, uh, which can cause problems as well. And why people might not enjoy you doing it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you might enjoy it, <laughs> and the impact it has on others could be problematic. Absolutely, so exactly that. Let, Richard, let's stop um, maybe skirting around this. The the, the topic, yeah, we're, we're going to the label we're going to give this topic is derailment at work. Yeah. Um. Let's start by talking about that word. Yeah. What do we mean by derailment when we talk about it as as a concept? Sure. So. I wrote down the word in simple terms, followed by a heck of a lot of text. So I'm going to try and simplify my, my kind of notes here. What we're really talking about is, is, is personality features, structures within us, right? Features that, that typically or often show up as strengths, but which under certain circumstances can be overcooked, overdone, overplayed is the phrase that people use a lot. And the times that these strengths can be overdone is the times are the times when that that behavior is less helpful to us um and those overplayed strengths or the times that we overplay that behavior um that behavior can get in the way of our performance or our relationships and or our relationships mm. And that, that, okay, so I've got loads of follow-up <laughs> questions as a result of that, because it's really interesting, isn't it? That So first of all, so we often fall into the trap, maybe, of looking at strengths as a bit of a done deal, as in, that's what you're good at, fine. Now, let's make sure we focus on what you're not so good at. And that can lead to some problems, can't it? 100%. And, and actually, speaking about your... Um characterization of me in the kind of real world with real people very often when i would trail the use of a kind of derailment assessment okay we're going to look at some things that might might be less helpful or words to that effect more often than i care to remember an individual would would say oh okay this is the kind of jekyll and hyde moment and actually it's it's entirely not that is it because what we're talking about here is that the presence of strengths and the presence of things that have probably helped us all and helped the individual get where they are today, but which under certain circumstances can be unhelpful. So there's a real um, challenging situation, if you can imagine. The things that we might have been rewarded for, the things that help, might have helped us get us where we are today could be the very things that get in the way of our continued success or helping us get to the place where we might want to go next. Yeah. And, and I can imagine how that would 
if that was fed back to an individual, that could be both shocking, disappointing, frustrating, because from their perspective, hey, you've been giving me mixed messages here. You've been telling me I've been a, a star player, and now you're telling me I'm doing too much of that thing. You know, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Let's ground this as much mm -hmm. as we can in, in, in the practical, maybe. So what might be an example of a pattern that you see where it's an overplayed strength? Well, what's a very typical example that you come across? Okay. Um, couple of relatively common ones. Um, think of the manager, think of the individual who is good at detail, dots the I's, cross the, crosses the T's, work is produced to a, a good level of quality, um, high standards for their own work, high standards for the work of others, trusted, therefore, to deliver, trusted to deliver, trusted to deliver quality, you know, not known for typos and mistakes and, and things like that. Brilliant. Um, now think of that as... Well, let's think of that now as a person who is promoted to a position of leadership. Um, that strength could look to others like being picky, could look to others like being a perfectionist, it could look to others like being hard to please, it could lead the individual to fail to trust other people to do do work because they they won't deliver it as well as I can. Mm. Lots of stuff there, isn't there, um, about how that might show up and how it could be particularly difficult for that person who's just stepped up to a leadership position 100%. because their strengths might seem no longer as relevant. But also, it might be a while before other people point this out to them, if ever. Yep. So it sounds a little bit that um, what, what has you know been um, acknowledged as a strength for that person and actively rewarded and might be continued to be rewarded in some sense isn't as relevant for them in this role, and yet they're not adapting to that situation. Exactly that isn't as relevant. I, I guess I'd also say isn't isn't so helpful. Mm. So it's a good that would be I think a good example of what what got you here might not get you there. That's a great way of putting it. And, and I have to say, that's a, a context I'm sure you, but I know I encounter all the time in, in the world of coaching where you're supporting someone who's making a, a career transition. And one of the big rocks to deal with is you're picking up this stuff. What are you going to set down? Yeah. What are you going to stop doing because yeah. you're starting all of this? And that can be frustrating because some of the things they need to stop doing represent strong interests, passions, or strengths. Um, and that can feel a little bit uh, disempowering and a little bit counterintuitive, right? And well-worn habits, well-worn habits, worldviews that are quite, often quite deeply ingrained. Maybe we'll come on to that. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, I guess that's a kind of obvious one and, and um, it's definitely interesting. All of these kind of themes are interesting, but there's a another example I'd like to talk about, which is, let's, let's call it the, the skeptic, okay? Um, picture an individual who is um, hard to fool, questioning, um, 
can kind of read people and read situations well. Um, they can kind of understand what's what's really happening, maybe what lies beneath a, a, a simple problem or what lies beneath a situation. Um, what that could look like when the person's not attending, when the person's maybe not at their best, and what that could start to look like for people around them is just being very difficult to get along with, right? People might walk the other way because they could be fault-finding. They could they could see negative intent where there is none. And you can see immediately <laughs> how that could just make real um, hard work. Hard work. <laughs> you know, because, oh, they're just going to say no. Oh, they're just going to say what about. Yeah. And, and that's all they do now. You know, they've got this one tool in the toolkit, which is to yeah. say, here's a list of things you haven't thought of. Yeah. Uh, and if that was your manager, that's not going to be very motivational, is it? Exactly. And, and, and there's a real tell for this one, Richard. It's, it's, let's <laughs> picture somebody who's worked for an organization for 25 years, part of the furniture, or not, but um, the management are, are referred to as they you know, and the question for that individual is what, what would it take for, for this company and the people who run it to become we? There's this kind of distance, right? What, what are they thinking? What are they up to now? Even though you're part of it. Even though you're part of it, yeah. Yeah. So, so well, it, I guess it's a, um, the, the underlying theme is mistrust. Yeah. And again, we can see how that can manifest as a strength, the questioning, the hard to fall as a weakness, just as you say, tiring, right? It's not going to contribute greatly to harmony <laughs> and relationships, yeah, exactly. but like all of these things, um, it's on a continuum, right? And, and it's contextual as well. This is why it's a little bit complex maybe for us to get our heads around. And um, this is why there's lots of, it depends answers yeah. to these things, because in one context, that behavior is a strength in another context. It could be awkward. It could be yeah. problematic, yeah. but also that person and the way they use that strength, depending on how they're doing can manifest as a strength or a bit of a problem. Exactly. Uh, I'm thinking when you're under pressure, when you're really quite stressed out, how you use those strengths is going to look quite different to when you're feeling calm and harmonious. Yeah. yeah. Good. Again, if I've heard you right, let's think about, um, my auditor, my accountant, I want them to be detail focused. I want them to be questioning. I want them to seek to understand what's, what's happening in my business. Uh, I don't want them to be light on detail, but if, but I also don't want a perfectionistic manager. I don't want a controlling manager. I don't want a, a manager who, who never, who, who finds it difficult to accept things at face value. Mm. When I talk about personality um, in the workplace, it, it, I find it much easier to use imagery. Mm -hmm. um, so it sits with people. And, and one of the images I use is that it's much more like, you know, turning a knob rather than flicking a switch. Yeah. You know, these things aren't necessarily categorical. Mm -hmm. You can see a continuum. And actually, if we think about the whole person and not just one facet of personality, yep. it's a lot like one of those graphic equalizers, right? With lots of knobs and dials that are open to us to, yeah. to adjust at least the behavior side of things. 
So I'd like to knock on the head one of those misunderstandings that, you know, you can use one word to describe an entire person's yeah. personality. It's a lot yeah. more nuanced than that. Yeah. But it also points in, in derailment terms that those dials can move up and down. And so you don't reach a, you know, a point where you say, ha, he is derailed. But actually, in this situation, he's overplaying this and it's not so helpful. Yeah. Exactly, Richard. I... I Maybe I don't quite get the uh, origins of it, but I don't. I'm not a big fan of the term derailment. It, speaking of imagery, it, it it brings forth an image for me of kind of crash and burn, failure. You know, you're mm. fired, and I I think the the reality of of work and organisations and leadership is a little bit more mundane than that. <laughs> I think what we're talking about is mm. is moments and interactions where it just doesn't go as well as it might because of some of these structures that that, that lie within us. And I, and I think it's more a case of patterns and themes that, that, that kind of happen, happen every day, happen on a fairly regular basis and just kind of come together to get in the way of, of, of an individual's and therefore the organization's goal oriented activity. Mm -hmm. And it more often than not is like that, right? It's, it's uh, well, I know I, I don't tend to get involved in situations where it is crash and burn because it's far too late to, to talk about something like coaching where someone has really caused such monumental problems. But it is really useful to start the conversation much earlier on to increase someone's self-awareness that, you know, you know, you're doing this, right? You, you know that this is your go-to when you're under pressure or when there's a deadline or that one comes up all the time, how someone can really um, almost change uh, who they are as a deadline approaches and become demanding and uh, interpersonally gruff and make lots of excuses for the behavior. And then when there's no longer a deadline, they go back to how they were, which is a very, you know, amenable, pleasant person yeah. to deal with. But that's a pattern because it happens yeah. every time there's an impending deadline. And, and that's sort of baked into some of the theory, if you like, of derailment, which is to say we, we tend to manage the mask, right? If that, if that frustrated person or that perfectionist is in there, most of the time, most of the time, we can keep our social mask on. We can keep our behavior at a sort of socially acceptable levels so that relationships remain intact. The times when the mask slips are exactly as you say, when the pressure's on. And often in the workplace, that's in the form of a, of a deadline. Mm. And this is, this is the, the, but again, back to the point you made, a, a really lovely phrase within the world of derailment is forewarned is forearmed. So if an individual can have the um, hopefully useful feedback from people like us, that strength of yours, maybe there's a watch out attached to it. Maybe there's a time when it becomes less of a strength. We've then hopefully armed the individual with a with a with an opportunity to, to observe and an opportunity to recognize when they might be um, moving towards the less helpful side of the uh, of the personality trait, and if they recognise it, if they observe it, if they're strategically self aware about it, we increase their chance of of managing the behaviour. Or, or to go back to the derailment phrase, we 
we decrease maybe the, the um, opportunity for them to derail. Yeah. And so playing that back, we're talking about strengths that are supported and reinforced in the organizational setting that at times, maybe it's pressure, maybe it's something else, they get overplayed such that they don't um, have the positive impact that one would hope. And the consequences will depend on the context. Um, The uh, cyclical nature of this will depend on the context and the person and the feedback they get and their self-awareness. But we're not really talking generally about a point where we go tick the box that is a derailed person, but much more so, hey, this person tends to do this when under pressure, that's something we can work on. Yes. Yes. And, and, and that's, I think, why I don't like this word derailing, because mm-hmm. maybe you can say that person's derailed, but that, you know, I don't envisage a kind of fire. I don't envisage an explosion. I envisage a person who's just not at their best. And that mm-hmm. has consequences. Yeah. And that's not, based on what we've said so far, that's not something we can, if we were going to, lay the blame at the individual's feet solely because they're part of a system, they're part of an organization. And if they've got to that point, then it means that people around them haven't given them feedback, people that reward them have continued to reward them far too late for those things, and they haven't had the support and the engagement they need to avoid that very negative ultimate outcome. And they're human, and nobody's perfect, and we all have our we all have our issues. If Alfred Adler is to be believed, um, and and here's the kicker as well: the the assessments, and and of course the sort of famous derailment assessment would be the Hogan Development Survey. That one thing that I was always taught about about that one was if you, let's say you don't have any um, sort of raised factors within an assessment for derailment. Um, the question then becomes, okay, so what are you known for? Okay, brilliant that you might be um, kind of reliable and um, predictable in a good way. Okay, you don't have any sort of um, unusual under-pressure behaviours. But what are you known for? What's the kind of outstanding strength? Interesting. (laughs) What's the typical response to that? Hmm. Well, I think the first thing to say, it doesn't happen so often. Right. Um, The response is, and this is an interesting thing about these kinds of assessments, the response, which I think is is really fair enough, is homework. I'm going to think on that. Hmm. Because I think, as you pointed out earlier, this can can be kind of surprising. Oh, hold on. You're telling me that 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 strength is not always a strength it's asking a lot of the individual to kind of take that on board and say, okay, brilliant. Right then, James, right then, Richard, what are we going to do about it? I think that's um, hopeful to say the least. It's really common when working with these kinds of assessments for the individual to go off and reflect. And that's helpful, right? Because you don't want to make a snap decision or be compliant in the conversation. You want to give people room. Exactly. You want to give them space and maybe to talk to others that they trust and maybe let this percolate because, yeah, you and I look at profiles like this day in and day out. The average person doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I know, know weird, eh? <laughs> <laughs> no, they've got lives and hobbies. 
But, you know, it's so important to give people space to reflect and then be there to answer their questions about it and allow them to develop a narrative out of it, out of those numbers and charts. And, exactly. You know, uh, because it's a, it is a huge oversimplification of a person as well. Yeah. No matter how helpful yeah. the instrument is, yeah. it's a sort of a snapshot. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, don't forget, let's, let, let's use the example of, of, of the... Skeptic. Or let's use an, a, another example. Think of the, the team player. Good to be around. A good colleague. Um, downside or, or derailment risk of that might be, in very simple terms, too nice. Right? Has has a kind of difficulty with with being authoritative. It isn't comfortable to um, challenge authority or challenge people. Maybe the individual recognizes that. Oh, that's one that the individual does recognize. But that doesn't mean that it's easily fixable. Okay, wouldn't it be great? An individual walked out of a coaching session. Great, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, be more powerful now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge the boss. These things come from um, quite well ingrained worldviews, right? About about how who I am and and how the world's going to treat me and how people will interact with me. It takes a lot of um, introspection and reflection to kind of do that work we're right at talking about that really core um set of beliefs that we might call our identity or our self-concept 100 and, and that stuff's super com complex uh, there's lots of bits to it but another way of looking at this would be hey this this thing that took up a lot of space in my self-concept how i see myself doesn't sound so out and out positive anymore or it doesn't sound now like something i should be leaning on so much that can be quite existentially challenging yeah yeah hence hence i think it's completely fair enough to say let's reflect on this mm. when when is this part of you helpful when is it less helpful and and is it is it worth paying some attention to i really like those words because that's something that I think it's very important to avoid additional labels like this is good, this is bad, because very few things are. They're, they're contextually helpful and unhelpful mm -hmm. and, and raising the possibility that something that everyone thinks is great could be not so great if it's mm -hmm. done a certain way. Mm -hmm. That can be quite groundbreaking, quite challenging, quite uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But if we can equip people with that understanding that there's no one size fits all, need to pay attention to the context. Maybe sometimes I'm not at my best when these factors uh, are present, mm -hmm. then we're, we're kind of equipping them with a better understanding of them in context mm -hmm. rather than you are this, um, you are this identity that can never change and that's who you are. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. And, and this is, you know, we, we've talked about this a million times before, you know, the kind of using psychometrics as a as a sledgehammer you know this is it's an it's an opening to a conversation isn't it um and i think that you know that sort of brings us back to the sort of feedback and development part the the the, the first service we can provide i guess is is forewarned is forearmed you know recognizing that then or helping the individual to see that there may be times um when this thing that they're typically good at is less helpful um I think we're then moving into, you know, our old, our old friend values. Is it worth it? Is it worth considering um, 
seeking to maybe make make some small changes to how this manifests. And then I think, you know, a, a, another flavour of forewarned is forearmed. What are the predictable situations? What are the predictable situations when the less helpful side of this might might come to come to the fore? Um, and what's our how are we going to prepare? How are we going to how are we going to observe ourselves? How are we going to get maybe outside of ourselves and and kind of manage manage ourselves and our thoughts that might take us down that let's call it the derailment route. So again, <laughs> this isn't like giving someone a checklist saying if you do those things, you'll be fine. It's yeah. it's discussion, yeah. exploration, yeah. and you can think uh-huh. of very tactical things that someone might do in a very specific situation. Yeah. But then there's the more strategic things like as you become more senior or as you approach the end of your career or as you step into um, a, a leadership or a team leader role, this is what you need to be aware of. Um, and I, I think, you know, the work I've done with graduates over the uh-huh. years that can be quite uncomfortable. You know, that's a, that's a sea change. That's a transition where, oh, the stuff that I've really been leaning into as strengths isn't as helpful to me because I've left university and I'm in a completely different yeah. context. Yeah. And it's really useful to flag up what's different about this context compared to where you've just come from. Yeah. And at a smaller level, you've moved from company A to company B. What's different about company B that requires you to show up differently? Because what you did at company A was super, but you might need to adjust how you approach situations because the context has changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think graduates is a really interesting arena for this kind of work. Um, it's been a while since I've worked with graduates, but I've spent time with MBA students. So, may, you know, maybe kind of graduates plus a couple of years. And it's a, it, and a, the reason it's, I think it's interesting is maybe we, we see some of these things a little bit more in the raw. Mm. So if we go back to sort of maybe some derailment prototypes and themes, um, just delve into um, the work of a, can't recall if she was a psychiatrist or a, or a psychoanalyst. Maybe it doesn't matter. But talked about coping strategies, right, for dealing with insecurity. Um, three buckets. The, the, the individual who moves towards um, approval seeking. Okay, so that would be prototypically the individual who we might call too nice. Um, moving against, showing power, manipulating, demonstrating sort of greatness. Um, Moving away, seeking seeking to get out of there. You know, the person who's maybe not not quite so present. And fast forward to leadership, the person who whose door might be closed when people around them need them most. Mm. And I can absolutely picture. I've worked with MBA teams, and you can see those features standing out in 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 people's movements, behaviour, how they contribute. And how they deal with challenges, how they deal with setbacks, how they deal with achievement, Mm -hmm. all all of these things will be influenced by these these things that they may not be aware of themselves because it's so ingrained, uh, habitual, as you said earlier. It's habitual. It's been rewarded. It's part of the identity. It's it's part of it's part of the map of the appropriate way to engage with the world. So there seems like a bit of um, 
a, a process, maybe a loose process here, which is for, for people who are listening to this, that it's really useful to understand what your strengths are. So maybe have a think about that or get some feedback mm-hmm. on that. It's also really useful to think about your propensity to really lean on some of those strengths and maybe overemphasize them in certain situations. So have a think about those situations where maybe it didn't go so well for you or you got feedback that mm-hmm. you might have done things differently. But then really importantly, I think is about thinking prospectively. What's coming down the pipe that you might need to get ready for that might represent a risk or a sensitivity or a challenge? And how can you best adjust those dials in your behavior uh, to get the best out of that situation rather than repeat what you've done in the past that got you there but might not get you to the next place? Yeah. And, And I sometimes think of it in terms of what, what person or people or groups perhaps trigger some of these less helpful behaviors? What is it about the way that you view yourself and you view your relationship with that person which leads to the less positive manifestation? So we've got aspects of organization aspects of what people have told us about ourselves Mm -hmm. um, aspects of maybe overly tightly clinging on to parts of our identity um, translating into self-talk that might sound like I need to or I must Mm -hmm. rather than or 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 interpretations of -hmm. other people's behavior Mm -hmm. that are not so accurate or not so helpful but there's this systemic perspective, isn't there? It's it's person in context rather yeah. than an absolute evaluation of the person. Mm-hmm. So many so many factors can combine uh, to to yeah. um, get that person to where they are. And, and you've said something really important there. So you know, we're a pair of psychologists. We, we've probably massively overcomplicated this. Think about maybe what lies beneath. I want people to like me. I have to get this right. I have to be important. We can be talking about some really core and really simple self-talk or patterns or beliefs. And the question is, what does that bring? And the, the theory of derailment would say it can bring some really great things and it can bring some things to kind of be careful of. It can be. It can bring some things that 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 get in the way of performance and get in the way of relationships, and some people call that derailment. Mm. So the word we I don't think we've mentioned so far, but it it's jumping out at me now. If we're going to keep things nice and simple, is flexibility. Yeah, it's about the flexible use of your strengths and not treating it like a rule book but rather what's going to be helpful in this situation. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to adjust. So flexibility is a big word here. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So, well, we're, we're borrowing from our kind of act education here, aren't we? Um, mm. If that, if there's a theme around, I want to be liked, that could be the, the, the passenger on the bus, as opposed to the, the thought that we are um, consumed by. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I won't, I can't be liked by everyone in every situation. Yeah. That's uncomfortable, yeah. but it's helpful yeah. um, because it's true. And actually it 
will be less likely to distract us from what's right in front of us, which is maybe giving directives or feedback mm -hmm. to people where what's the purpose of this? It's not yeah. to be liked. Yeah. It's to achieve something else. Yeah. Um, you know, what are we talking about here? Pat pattern disruption, recognizing thoughts and not being dominated by them. Mm. I'm conscious this is something we could have a fireside chat about for quite some time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but we can't today, but no. in, in, in sort of bringing this to a close, is there anything that you think is really important for the average listener out there to understand about this topic? And maybe let's avoid the D word and just talk about the potentially overplayed strengths. Mm -hmm. What would be your, your closing words for people? Gosh, give me a moment. Closing words. I think I'm, I'm going to go back to something we, you know, we've a phrase we've decided together today that we like, right? What what got you here won't necessarily get you there. I think there's a there's a yes, some of these instruments and psychometrics can help with that, but often maybe we kind of know. Maybe we kind of know, right? Am I, um, whatever the example might be, you know, is this thing that I consider a strength always a strength? Consistently a strength? Is it a strength in every situation? Or are there times when I kind of overdo it? You know, for example, um, I'm entertaining. Am I? Might I just be a bit too much? Might it be um, for me rather than benefiting my audience? Mm. Um, am I I'm cautious, but could I be more decisive? Um, I'm a good team player. I'm good to be around, but could I be more authoritative? Could I stand up for myself more? Um, I'm good at the detail. We've talked about this one. I'm good at the detail, but actually are there, th are there things I could let go of and times I could let go? I'm confident. I'm charismatic. Are there times when... Um, I, I just have difficulty accepting my imperfections. I'm creative, but are my ideas sometimes expressed in a way that doesn't help them land? Think of think of the possibility of that strength, that thing that you're known for, that thing that you're rewarded for, not always being helpful. That's brilliant. They're really nice little snapshots there of, of potential patterns. And I think that's a great starting point for people who are listening to this now. And maybe we will avoid using that D word from now on and just talk about it in, in terms of the contextual application of, of strengths that work for us sometimes, don't work for us so well other times. Yeah, I, I, I'd love to, you know, get involved in a conversation. Um, I just don't resonate with the, that phrase myself. Well, you know, now, of course, I'm going to have to rename the podcast episode. <laughs> I'm going to have to expunge all references to it from these notes here. Um, and that's fine because that's learning and I'm letting go. <laughs> we'll have to redo ready. the whole thing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it's a much more human human thing because yeah. um, labels stick, don't they? Yeah. You know, they once they're used, it's, it's hard to yeah. unapply yeah. them. You know, yeah. are your executives derailing? It's kind of, um, it grabs the attention. I'm just not sure it reflects the real world. No, and, and now I'm getting images of, you know, your equipment is malfunctioning, <laughs> you know, which it might be true about the equipment, but 
people are you know vastly more complex uh so so yeah i think we'll we'll talk about over overplayed strengths as we go forward with this listen james thank you so much for your time today it's been great to talk with you i've no doubt you'll be back um but we'll let the audience decide that no i'm kidding i'm kidding we'll we'll be back because i think there's so much in your experience that you'd be able to share with our listeners i think they'd find that really useful particularly just understanding more about personality um maybe the assessment of it but just maybe getting our own understanding of our personalities um uh through through different lenses so i think that that could be really good but for today Thanks so much uh, for your time. And um, listeners, if you have questions about anything we've, we've covered today, we'd love to hear from you. So send us a message on Twitter at MindPocketPsych or send us a longer message via the contact form. And you can find that at worklifepsych.com slash contact. James, thanks again. And I'll speak to you soon. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Richard. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.